there, everyone. It's Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, we're going to take a slightly different approach and take some time to answer some questions that I've recently been asked by single women about how to navigate different areas that they face as single adults. And so these answers, we're going to go through about four questions. These are answers that I've really explored in the Word of God. So if you're single right now and struggling with some of these difficult questions, or if you know someone who's single and trying to navigate through these areas of life, hopefully this will just provide some practical and biblical encouragement. So the first question, which maybe seems like an odd question, but it's a question I've actually been asked quite a bit by single adult women. And that is, do you have any thoughts on single women doing foster care or adopting? Is this wise or unwise? With no father in the home, is a father-like figure enough? Would it be better for the child, maybe they're an orphan, is it better for them to grow up with a single mother and no father than to stay in the orphanage or the situation that they're in? What a great question. Maybe it sounds a little obscure, but a lot of single Christian women are actually grappling with this question. So I'd like to dive in and just share a few of my thoughts about this. First of all, I think it is so important to be led by God in making this decision. Obviously, an 18-year-old single girl wanting to adopt is a lot different than a 30-year-old single woman wanting to adopt who has more of a established life and income and things like that. So looking at the practical areas of your life and being led by God as to the timing and when it would be wise and appropriate to do something like that and making sure that you have a strong support system and godly men and women in your life that truly can invest in your life and the life of the child that you're ministering to as you take that step forward. So making sure that your motives are correct, that you're not just getting into an adoption or a foster care situation because it seems like it's going to fulfill a need in your own life or it sounds fun and exciting, which maybe it will be, but really it needs to be a decision that is made out of obedience to God and being directed and led by his spirit. Not everyone is called to adopt or to do foster care, but those of us who are, it's so important to know that God is saying, this is what I've called you to do, and this is how and when I want you to do it. Now, as far as the concept of a single woman caring for orphans and adopting orphans, there are so many examples in history that I could point to of Christian women who did this in a very, very powerful and effective way, and they were single the whole while. Gladys Aylward is one example. She didn't set out to go adopt a bunch of Chinese children, but that was part of her ministry in China as it unfolded. She was walking through a a Chinese village one day, and this old gypsy type of woman was trying to sell this little girl and Gladys realized that if she didn't take this child the child would die and so she gave the woman the only money that she had in her pocket which was nine pence and took that child home to adopt her and then the enormity of what she had done hit her on her way home she just adopted a child she named the child nine pence just remembering how that child came into her life but This little girl became such an incredible blessing to her life, and the little girl then went out and began finding other children who were in need of a home. And this little girl, Ninepence, said, I'll eat a little bit less. If you eat a little bit less, we can take in more children. And so pretty soon Gladys had an entire household full of adopted Chinese children that she was raising in addition to her missionary work that she was doing. So many of those children grew up to become mighty ambassadors for the kingdom of God. So obviously, Gladys Aylward, even though she didn't have a a father for these children, 
And, you know, the word of God says that he is a father to the fatherless. So even if there's not a father in the home, God can cover that missing piece with his grace. He can be a father to the fatherless and he can bring godly men into that person's, that child's life to influence them and to invest into them. And he can give the woman who is raising them extra grace and extra measure of grace to pour into them. And I remember watching a documentary um, that featured one of the boys that Gladys Elward had adopted and raised. And he was an adult and he became a pastor. He went to seminary and he, he continued to talk about the amazing impact that Gladys had on his life. When he became a Christian, his own father disowned him and kicked him out of the house and Gladys took him in. And it was just amazing to see God was a father to him. Gladys was a mother to him and God raised him up to be mighty in the kingdom of God. So powerful. Mary Slessor is another great example. She went to Africa as a missionary, but she began to adopt children because there was a tradition in the village that she was in of killing twins. Anytime a woman gave birth to twins, the both of them would be killed because there was superstition about those twins that they were evil and they would bring a curse on the family. And so Mary Slessor began uh, rescuing a lot of these twins and raising them as her own. And again, these children grew up to become mighty and they all joined her in missionary work when they grew up and were old enough. So again, another powerful example of a single woman raising and adopting children in need. Amy Carmichael is an excellent example. She went to India to be an evangelist, but then God led her to establish a home a safe haven for young children who were being sold into temple prostitution. She began to rescue these children and raise them and train them in the ways of God. And she became a mother to them. In fact, her Indian name was Amma, which means mother. So again, just an amazing testimony. And I've learned a lot in my own parenting simply by reading Amy Carmichael's books about how God led her to raise these children as a single woman. Lillian Trasher is another example. She went to Egypt again to become a missionary, and God gave her this little baby who had nowhere to go. The mission group that she was with said that, you know, you can't raise this Egyptian baby. This baby was sick and about to die, and Lillian was nursing the baby back to health, and they said, give this baby back to its own people. But Lillian knew that the baby would be killed if she did that, so she left the mission organization she was with, went and rented a house with her own money and started raising this child, and more and more children started coming to her and God began to make it clear that he had brought her to Egypt to begin an orphan work there. And so she developed the first uh, Egyptian orphanage in that area and raised about a thousand children over her, the course of her life in this orphanage. And they, those children in turn went all over Egypt spreading the gospel because she had trained them in the ways of God. So to see some of these women in history who so powerfully stood for the orphan as single women, I think points us to the fact that this is something that God is oftentimes behind. And he, even if there are no men that are uh, fulfilling the call, he'll raise up women to fulfill this call. And that doesn't mean that these children are going to get a second-rate version of an upbringing because God is a father to the fatherless. These women are yielded to him, and he guides and directs them every step of the way. There's a a woman in our church who is single who is fostering and adopting children. I think she has four little ones right now, and every time I see her, she's such an inspiration to me. 
And I think also knowing what you're getting into when when you're a single woman, even if you're a married woman and you choose to stand for children, you're giving up certain things in your life. You have to give up the the freedom that you used to have. Amy Carmichael would always refer to the phrase, children tie the mother's feet, which was a Tamil proverb that she read in India. And it's so true. You can't have this carefree life where you can just come and go as you please, go meet friends for coffee whenever you feel like it, pursue all of your own interests. When you're raising young children, your feet are tied. But Amy Carmichael said, "I we let our feet be tied for the sake of the one whose feet were pierced for us. So powerful. And just looking at the need to stand for vulnerable children, the need is so great around the world today. We have between 143 and 163 million children around the world who are orphans or who are vulnerable and do not have advocates to stand for them. And that number is only increasing because of the HIV AIDS crisis. And we have about 700,000 foster care children in the U.S. alone. And a really shocking statistic is that about 80% of inmates serving time in in U.S. prisons came out of the foster care system. So that points us to the fact that there is uh, a problem with the system and Christians need to begin investing in the lives of these vulnerable children so they don't keep going down that path of hopelessness and destruction. So given the need that is so great for vulnerable children around the world, it seems wrong to me to disqualify a Christian woman who is willing to stand for these children simply because she is not married. That doesn't seem to be God's qualification. His qualification seems to be a yieldedness to him, a surrender to him, a readiness to do whatever he calls you to do. And if God has put it on your heart, then begin fervently praying that he will open the door and he will make it clear how to do that and when to do that and when is the right time and build a support system around you as you seek to stand for those children. The main thing, again, is to become spiritually ready, yield it to God, and make sure that you're doing it out of obedience to him and not just for a sense of personal fulfillment. The second question that came in has to do with singleness as well. When we allow God to write our love story, but we remain single, how do we navigate the trap of self-pity? How do we continue to minister to people who knew about our decision to wait on God's timing when they see that he has not brought us our earthly husband? The last thing I would want is for them to doubt God's faithfulness and mistakenly point to me as an example that God is not faithful. That's a great question. I think a lot of single women grapple with that. They want their lives to showcase, okay, I've given God the pen. I'm entrusting my future love story into his hands. But then when nothing happens year after year, what if people start to think that God isn't faithful in my life in this area? It all depends on where your gaze is fixed. The Bible says that those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. And so the testimony to other people is not going to be whether or not God brings a man into your life. The testimony is going to be the radiance of your face as your eyes are fixed upon Jesus. If they see the fact that you are trusting him, you are resting in him, you are abiding in him, you are joyfully fulfilled by him, even without a husband, even without a love story unfolding in your life, that will be even a more amazing story, oftentimes a more amazing testimony of God's faithfulness and the power of God in your life than just seeing him immediately bring a man into your life. When they when they look at the patience and the, the fact that you're willing 
to wait and not rush ahead of God. If and when God does bring a love story into your life in his perfect timing, they see the reward of your faithful waiting. That's an incredible testimony to him as well. So the key is going to be fix your eyes on Jesus, look to him and let him make you radiant. And as you do, you will never be ashamed. People will never look at you and say, oh, that poor girl, you know, she trusted God and he let her down. They'll look at you and say, wow, what does she have in her life? Because I want it too. Let people follow your gaze upward and be baffled by your joy and your fulfillment. I've often shared that story of the two Chinese girls who were kicked out of their homes and they went from village to village, but people came up to them and said, why are your faces so shiny? Whatever it is inside of you, that's what I want in my own life. So remember that God's faithfulness will be seen through your joy in him no matter what your circumstances are. It's not, it has nothing to do with whether you're married or not or how quickly God brings a love story into your life. It has everything to do with your joy, your fulfillment, and your radiant gaze fixed upon Jesus. Another question that came in was, as a mid-30s single who has always longed to get married and to be a mom and to adopt children, how do I surrender those dreams and live in contentment as a single? How do I hold those dreams with an open hand instead of just try to ignore them or become cynical because of the pain of not being fulfilled? Great question. I know many single women struggle with this, and I think that's in many ways why a lot of women rush ahead of God and try to jump into online dating and just take the pen out of God's hands and just go try to manipulate circumstances to have a love story. I always think back to my sister-in-law Chrissy's story. She had given the pen of her love story to God at the age of 12, and he didn't bring anyone into her life all through high school, all through her college and young adult years, and she was in her early 30s, and God was still not bringing a man into her life, but she did not put her life on hold. She began to say, Lord, for this season of my life, however long it is, I'm going to live a joyfully poured out life. I'm going to surrender this afresh to you every single day. And somebody once asked her, are you called to singleness? And of course, that's kind of a challenging question to be asked, I think, when you're in your 30s and still unmarried and want to be married. But her answer was so beautiful. She said, today I am. She wasn't worried about the next five or 10 or 15 years. She was joyfully surrendered to God that day saying, Lord, you've called me to singleness today and you'll give me the grace to joyfully and triumphantly walk through this, this calling today. And she has an amazing story several years later she was in a situation where she wasn't around very many single young men. And people were telling her she needed to move to a bigger city, make herself more available, join a singles group. But she said, you know, God is a big God. And if he wants me to be married, he can bring the man to me. You know, Proverbs says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And the man is the one who does the finding. So I'm going to stay right here and trust God. That is a big leap of faith when you are in your mid-30s and there aren't any potential young men even around you. But through that faith and that willingness, God brought a man into her life, wrote a beautiful love story. And really, it was it was almost an impossible story because she wasn't even around single young men, hardly at all. And God still wrote that love story for her. And now she has five children and just, just a beautiful focus on Christ, both in her single and in her married years. I think the key is understanding where your fulfillment comes from. Is it in the hope of marriage and marriage dreams or is it in Jesus Christ? And to remember that singleness isn't the only thing you'll have to surrender to him. Marriage dreams, dreams for family and children. Surrender is a lifelong daily process. And so realizing that, you know, you may 
you may feel that once God finally brings your love story into your life and you finally get married and be, and those dreams are fulfilled, that you don't have to surrender anything anymore. But every day, every season of our life, there are new areas that we have to lay at the feet of Jesus and trust in his perfect timing. You know, when you're married, a, a lot of moms who are married with kids, they waited so long for that dream to be fulfilled. And now they're having to surrender other things like the, the you know, the they want their marriage to look a certain way and their husbands just aren't being sensitive enough or their house is a mess, their kids feel out of control and now they're surrendering different areas. They're struggling in different areas. So understand that surrender is the key whether you're married or single. Corey Ten Boom in her book, Trant for the Lord, once was speaking to a single missionary who had become very bitter about never finding a husband. And Corey Ten Boom said, when you die and your life is hid with Christ in God, as it says in scripture, then you can be content with or without a husband secure in Christ alone. And that is the place that God wants to bring every one of us to no matter what season of life we're in. The last question that was submitted is a very tricky one, but I'm going to try to tackle it in a very quick nutshell here. What does honoring and obeying your parents look like as an adult single woman? Does a single woman need to submit to her father and mother the same way she would to a husband? Is the way a single adult woman's relationship with her parents as an authority in her life different than it would be for a single adult man? Really tricky and probably controversial question because people in the church today have very strong and differing opinions about this. I just want to give you a few little tidbits to consider from the word of God because I I feel that everyone's situation really is a little bit different. And it's so important to take this area to God and say, okay, Lord, you know my 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 age, my circumstances, my relationship with my parents. What does honoring my parents look like for me in this season of my life? But think about a few things when you're wondering about this. First of all, we are called to honor and respect the authorities in our lives, like our parents and our leaders. But we have to remember that all of us must stand on our own two feet before God, no matter what season of life we are in. Think about when the angel came to Mary, the mother of Christ, to tell her that God had called her to be the mother of the Savior of the world. The angel did not go to her parents and say, I want, you know, I want to share with you what we want your daughter to do here, and we need you to be in charge of this. And the angel did not even go to Joseph, who was her betrothed husband. The angel came to her because it was in her own heart that that yieldedness and surrender needed to happen. It's not that she was to rebel against her, the authorities in her life, but she had to stand on her own two feet with what God had called her to. She had to be the one herself to choose to say yes to God and to surrender to him. So whatever God calls us to, it doesn't have to filter through a parent or another authority. We have to have our own intimate relationship with God and learn how to stand on our own two feet in our relationship with him. And that doesn't negate honoring and respecting authorities, but it's just something we need to keep in mind. After Christ rose from the dead, I think it's very interesting that he first appeared to women. And the first thing that he asked them to do was to go and preach and tell the good news to the disciples that he was alive. And it it was almost as if he was enunciating the principle that was later given later in scripture where it says, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. So to understand that the great commission, when Christ says, go into all the world and make 
disciples and spread the good news, he's not just talking to men. He's talking to women as well. This is not an excuse to just, you know, have a feministic attitude. I am woman, hear me roar. I'm going to go do my own thing. That's not at all what I'm saying. But at the same time, I think when we get so paranoid about, well, everything, I'm, I'm 30 years old, but everything has to be approved by my parents before I do anything, then oftentimes it can hinder us from truly fulfilling the call of God on our life, especially if our parents are more controlling and sort of just want to keep us under their control until we finally meet a guy and get married. So I think that's an unhealthy way for a single adult woman to live. There is a way to honor your parents and respect them without still being in that childhood season. When we're in the childhood season, we have to obey them. As long as what they are asking us to do doesn't go against the word of God. When we're a child living at home, we are called to obey our parents. So if they tell us clean our room, we go clean our room. If they tell us to eat our vegetables, we eat our vegetables. As we become single adults living on our own and navigating our own lives and our own relationship with God in a stronger way, then we're called to transition from constantly obeying them to honoring them, which means to respect their opinion, to treat them as very important in our lives, to go to them for counsel, to take their words seriously, and as they get older, to take care of them, to serve them as it's needed. Uh, But it's a little bit different than when we're living at home under their direct authority. My husband, Eric, gave a message recently talking about the difference between the different kinds of fatherhood. There's an earthly father with a a lowercase f, and there's a heavenly father with a capital F. And the role of an earthly father or an earthly parent is to eventually train their child to be able to submit to the the Heavenly Father with the capital F, not to take that capital F role in their life beyond that season of when that child becomes an adult, it's sort of like releasing them to be unto their Heavenly Father with a capital F. The parent still has a very key role in that person's life, but they're no longer the ones saying you have to clean your room and eat your vegetables and you can't make any decision without running it by me first. Now there's a balance here because there is something called what I refer to as the spirit of the age, which is really the fact that this generation that we're living in, and it's even been studied and proven that some of the people living in this generation are the most likely to betray their parents and mentors out of any generation in all of history, which is really disturbing. So I don't want any of this to come across as a license to just you know, ignore your parents and your authorities to not take them seriously. We are always called to submit one to another, to submit to the authorities God has put in our life, to take church authority seriously, to honor and reverence our elders and our leaders and our parents. And so as we begin to really explore that understanding of being unto Christ first and foremost, and understanding him as our ultimate father with the capital F, And having our obedience first and foremost being unto him, especially as we get into those single adult years, we also need to be careful not to fall into that spirit of the age and disregard or disrespect the authorities in our life. So remember that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female. So there's really no difference between a single adult male and how he should be treating his authorities and a single adult woman and how she should be treating her authorities. We are all called to be respectful, to be honoring, to be uh, submissive to the authorities that God has placed in our life and ultimately and first and foremost submitted and yielded and surrendered unto Jesus Christ.
So I hope that answers that question a little bit. And there's a lot more that I can share. But some final thoughts that I want to share with you on all of these questions about singleness. Remember that God has an amazing purpose for your single years, whether this is a season or a lifetime. Focus not on being single and what that means, but on being a child of God and building your life around him. And you can know that he will direct your steps. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. For more on this topic of singleness and how to navigate these years of your life, please visit the many resources that we have available at setapartgirl.com. And if you're not yet a subscriber to our Set Apart Girl magazine, you can get that magazine both in print and online if you become a subscriber. And this is an amazing bi-monthly, spiritually rich resource that can really deepen your intimacy with Christ no matter what season of life you're in. So you can learn more at setapartgirl.com. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.